Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome everyone to the Aging Fearlessly Radio podcast. Gail Greatorex is certainly a woman on a mission. At 55, she started her own business in product safety after a long career working for organisations such as the ACCC. At 62, she published her first novel, and in my opinion, that is a very courageous undertaking. So welcome, Gail, to the Aging Fearlessly Radio podcast. We love women with a story and that they're making a difference and living life to the full. Well, thank you, Karen. I'm delighted to be here and thank you for that kind introduction. You know, I love meeting women that really step outside their comfort zone and give things a go because, you know, That's something I like to do. And some people are so full of fear when it comes to stepping out of their comfort zone. They sort of like that little comfy spot they've got and they go, oh, I couldn't do that. But what I love is that you've given so much a go um, and, you know, I take my hat off to you. Sorry, I'm not wearing one. Yeah, look, thanks for that. I I don't know why I don't feel quite so much fear on on these things. Um, But it's interesting because I actually work, having started my own business after a a long career as a paid public servant, um, I started working with a business manager and business and marketing manager. And and he specialises in women over 50. And he's commented to me recently that quite a few of his potential clients have just said that they just do not feel confident. You know, they've got the ability, they've got the drive, but they lack the confidence. So it's certainly a factor. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy that I have been able to maybe step outside my comfort zone a little bit uh, in a few ways. And, look, there is a saying that, you know, the magic happens when you step outside the comfort zone. That's, and it is true because while you're sitting in that safe place, Things just bubble along, you know, Mm. and some people are just happy with bubbling. I like a little bit more, like I like um, a flowing stream that's, you know, rushing down the mountain. Um, I think some people just like the challenge because I like to also think there's no such thing as failure. You're just giving something a go. Yeah, and and, uh, with both my, my business and my writing ventures I'm learning something every day and in fact with writing being such an amateur um, I feel as though I've got I'm at the bottom of the learning curve Um, I'm pleased to have published my first book and I think it's a it's a good read uh, but I really want to learn more and and improve my writing. Yeah for sure and you just said something a minute ago so I'm oh so I'm going to cut a little bit out here So what you just said to me is about lifelong education Mm -hmm. Uh, and we should never stop learning because I think that's so important for our brains. 
um, and our, men our, mental, our mental fitness. I like this new word I've heard, mental fitness, not mental well-being, but mental mm. fitness. It keeps us fit in the mind. Well, people are living longer these days and, uh, you know, if, unless you're giving yourself a new challenge and, and uh, trying to learn new things, they do say, you know, certain activities uh, engage different sides of the brain yep. and, and, you know, you can easily find out what they are. Yes. And, uh, just give it a go. So tell us a little bit about your career leading up to starting your business. Okay, so I had... Uh, quite a decent career in the Commonwealth Public Service. Firstly, I was working in HR, human resources, and then I switched across to consumer protection, in particular, mm -hmm. the safety of consumers, and ended up doing that for 25 years. And oh, I, so cool. I, stuck, well, I stuck with it because I thoroughly enjoyed it. It, it, it ticked so many boxes. It's an interesting area. It, it's uh, meaningful, protecting everybody in uh, home, and especially children. Um, and there was a multi, it's a multifaceted job. So I was involved in trying to understand where, uh, why people behave the way they do in terms of getting uh, injured, uh, how products interact, how they interact with products and how those products can be made safer. And then the sort of thing like dri what drives businesses to turn their own attention to safety as opposed to just turning their mind to profit. Yeah. So, so working with the government, we had some rules and regulations, but it wasn't just about enforcement of that. It was also about trying to understand um, what drives businesses to, to make their products safe. And I think you said you touched on something before about profit over safety. Um, and I think that's an easy thing to understand that people want profit and it's not always about safety. And we have to make sure that the prof the safety is there well quite often it's it's cheaper if you if you think about safety and build that into the product in the first instance uh, it's cheaper to uh, achieve safety then than have to then risk putting out a product that is unsafe and then having to retrieve it recall it uh, have the risk of injured consumers uh, taking you to court, the yep. government taking you to court for, for breaching safety rules uh, and all of that. So, uh, in fact, it's often just about uh, striking that balance. Uh, yeah. but, but you also, you know, I, I have to try and understand all the competing demands that in, especially small businesses have. And so that's part of what I do in uh, what I was doing in government and what I'm also doing now as a consultant is, so, is to try to understand how people um, strike that balance in their business. Yeah. Your own business now. Tell me a little bit about this business that you started when you were 55, because that's no mean feat to start a business, you know, after 50. It's a lot of people say... It's not possible, but there are many women in particular who've raised families and, and just been working for years and who thought, you know what, I want to give my own thing a go. So tell us about this. Okay, so it is my own thing. And uh, having worked in a large organisation for 30-something years, I was more than ready to have a break from that. And I really like being my own boss. And so I can really... Uh, 
place myself in terms of how I spend my time. Um, I choose the jobs that I want, choose the interesting ones, and I do a little bit of unpaid work as well. So um, a bit of advocacy and and um, helping people develop uh, guidelines and so forth. So I, what I wanted to do, having having 25 years of experience in product safety and how the system works, I wanted to um, try to fill the gap between uh, what governments require businesses to do and what businesses feel they have to and, and they can do. Um, as I said, there's, it's a matter of striking a balance. And so I was hoping to use, build a website that would fill the gap of information and knowledge so that it smooths the path for businesses to put safer products on the shelves for, uh, for consumers to use. I also uh, do a little bit where I can to help educate consumers as well. So I run a Facebook page, which, you know, I usually post any new and emerging hazards. Um, you know, I saw, uh, being as we are in the middle of the COVID situation, yep. um, and you know that in Australia, the face marks face masks are not mandatory for children under 12. Mm -hmm. Somebody in the UK had invented a face mask for a baby with a dummy built in. Oh, really? And clearly that's going to be a suffocation hazard. Yeah. Uh, but some people would think, oh, I'm protecting my baby. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, get one of those. Yeah. So you just, you know, there's always new products and new mechanisms for unsafe uh, situations. And so that's one of the things that keeps it interesting. So, I, you know, I pop that onto my Facebook page. Uh, to help warn consumers that not to go there. And and what gave you the confidence to to start your own business? Well, essentially, I was drawing on the experience that I had and the insights that I had into how product safety works in Australia. You know, we're talking about uh, household products. It might be toys, might be nursery products for children. Uh, mm. It could be... Um, adults, things like the things that adults use, like car jacks and sunglasses, mm -hmm. might be bunk beds and all those kind of everyday products that we, yep. we all live with. Um, so there's vast numbers of people selling them and we all use them. So I really was uh, keen to impart that knowledge, to, to kind of give back after I've had, I'd had a good career. I was kind of keen to give back. And uh, just maintain the uh, the networks that I had, uh -huh. uh, so as to just add value to to the community, I guess, in a way. And you know, giving back—it's something else. It's a whole other topic, mm -hmm. um, because giving back gives us that feel-good thing. You know, yes. it's um, it's that whole, you know, the endorphins and doing something that helps other people is just such a good thing. And I think a lot of us after 50 feel that we have the opportunity to give back. I'm going to say we're a little less, less selfish, I think, after 50. Oh, that's probably true. That's probably true. And, you know, sometimes I talk to people who have not quite retired and I say, you know, ask them what they're going to do. And they, I said, what about volunteer work? Oh, I don't want to work in an op shop, they say. 
as though that's the quite often people think that's the only option yes really if you can draw upon your own background and expertise that you've built up over the years uh, there's many many organizations not-for-profits and charities that uh, can take advantage of of that and you can form a whole new partnership with and and there's even websites you're probably aware websites that will match you with your skill set to not-for-profit organizations that need something like that. I've had this conversation with a friend of mine who's um, a CEO of a very large not-for-profit and he was a CEO of a profit, you know, a a profit-making company initially uh, and he was just talking about that and the, the value that volunteers and people add to the particular charity that he works for. But um, so product safety, you've explained a bit about that, but um, are there particular product hazards that stand out? Well, there's a couple that are uh, occupying my mind these days. Uh, One is a product that's actually banned in Australia, and that's uh, uh, toys that have uh, very strong magnets in them. And they can be used to sort of connect pieces uh, with one another and you can build interesting shapes. They are often, the the magnets themselves are often little silver ball bearings type things. And if children swallow them, in particular swallowing more than one, can travel through their digestive system at a different rate. And so once they're inside your gut, they will attract to one another and break the, like your intestinal wall. Because you can imagine that then causes all sorts of really awful um, internal uh, damage. Injuries, yeah. Yes. And so uh, unfortunately, while they're banned from sale in Australia, when when the um, pandemic started and everybody was uh, stuck at home with, with, the family, when I say stuck at home, my sister always tells me off using that term, when everyone's, everyone's at home and they're looking for ways to occupy themselves, um, onto my fa- own Facebook feed came advertisements for these toys coming from overseas through online suppliers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been told by a paediatric surgeon that, that the um, hospital admission rate with injuries for this have gone up. So that's disturbing. Mm. Um, and one other uh, keen uh, product I'm keen to mention is uh, button batteries. Again, a slightly similar problem. You know, the little sort of coin-sized flat batteries that yep. uh, power all sorts of things these days. If a child swallows them, uh, what happens is the battery charges actually works inside. Oh. Uh, you know, it connects with your um, saliva and your um, internal uh, lining yeah and if especially if they lodge inside the esophagus of a young child uh, it'll it'll sit there and it'll burn away the muscle and oh. it's it's a really dreadful situation it has caused many fatalities including two in australia but even if it doesn't cause a fatality it can cause a very serious ongoing injuries there's one poor little fellow in the united states who's had 54 operations 54 surgeries and, you know, is still not 100%, and, and that's not that unusual. So uh, because bat- button batteries are everywhere these days, everyone has got some in their home, uh, the challenge is to try to make them 
kept away from children. Um, the government's been a bit slow to take action on this, but they are hopefully shortly to announce a regulation that will make sure that products that contain and operate on button batteries uh, are not able to be easily opened, especially by children. Well, I think uh, I'm going to just add to that uh, those tiny little batteries that come in hearing aids. Uh, my mother, whenever she changes her batteries, and my mum's 92 and a bit, um, they go into a jar that has, you know, a lid on it because there's little, her great-grandchildren run around at mm. her place and they are so tiny, those little batteries, and will be easy to pick up. They're just like a bead. Yes, Easy yes. to slip in your mouth. Exactly. Um, and, and we're and very conscious of that. Good, good. Yes, kids kids will swallow them, and, but they won't tell you that they've swallowed them. Either they're not, they can't speak yet or they are not prepared to admit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think that a lot of them just don't even think about it, do they? They just, like really little kids are just picking up. They can't tell you. Mm. So let's get on to um, writing. I read that you never actually thought of writing a book. That's right. I didn't have a burning ambition. And when I, when I first sat down and started writing the novel I've just published, um, I just thought it would be a short story. <laughs> yes, with uh, a long ending. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so what happened was uh, the only bit of creative writing I'd ever done was to really write in my travel journals um, to just record where I'd been and what I'd been doing when I was on overseas trips. And in fact, it was in 2007, when I just returned from my first trip to China, that I was sitting on the couch at home to just finish off writing the, the diary. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, oh, I'm enjoying this. I might keep doing it. So I thought, what will I write about? So I thought, well, I'll stick with travel because that's what I know. And I just roughed out a little storyline and started typing. And uh, as I said, I thought it would have been just a short form, but as soon as I started writing it after I'd written a page or two, I could tell it was kind of very much expanding into a long form style. So I just kept going. And the situation work was, I was working full time, but work was super stressful at that stage. And I would come home each night after work and just lose myself in the writing. So that was thoroughly enjoyable. Well, tell us about the title, Cherry Blossom Footsteps. Sure. Uh, so I've, I've called it Cherry Blossom Footsteps because it's set in both Japan and Hong Kong. And it's about a young woman from Melbourne who goes on her first trip overseas. She was going to be accompanied by her beloved grandmother, who, who's a quite a, you know, a young and hip, uh, 60 something as you, you know, the sort of people that you might interview, Karen. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but at the last minute, her nan can't, can't accompany her. So she goes off on her own and it's a bit of an adventure. She's a little bit less than confident. Um, but in, in the process, she's kind of inspired to emulate the kind of travels that her grandmother did yep. uh, in the 1960s. So that's where the footsteps come in. And uh, it's intended as a, it's like a, it's like a bit of armchair travel. It's a fun story of, of the experiences that Lauren has uh, going through Japan. Um, 
at spending some time traveling around there and making new friends. And then on to Hong Kong, uh, where she, she, you know, explores some of her, her grandmother's previous uh, experiences. Yeah, so um, I want to go to the Hong Kong piece because mm. when I was 20, 20 years of age and I finished Teachers College, I did a travel, my first overseas trip started in Hong Kong and we flew over on a student, um, a plane that was full of students and we had six days in Hong Kong. And when I was reading your novel, oh, my God, I was back there. It was so funny because, like, you were doing things with um, the, your 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 um, character, Lauren, was yes. doing things that I had done. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, like, really interesting. And, you know, the places she visited, um, I was, yeah, it was, um, it was a bit deja vu. <laughs> well, look, you know, Japan and Hong Kong are both places that Australians are very familiar with. And the rest of the world, of course, uh, loves loves those countries for lots of reasons. So uh, it it happened to be that those were the two places that I went to on my overse- first overseas trip. Ah. Yeah, yeah. And, we're and very I was similar a, ages, you know. I think so. I think so. But, um, you know, I, I had kept my diaries from that trip as well. So I was even able to include... Uh, some of the experiences that I'd had personally and and drew on some of the descriptions I'd written at the time uh, to incorporate into the novel. I think you were following me, actually. Maybe. (laughs) So um, the pros and cons of travelling solo, you cover that. It was something I was fearful of when I was in my 20s. So hats off to Lauren. Yes. Yes, uh, look, um, I've, I actually didn't start till I was a bit older to do solo travel, but uh, I've done it a lot since then. And uh, I think there's, there's some great advantages in it. Primarily, well, of course, you can set your own itinerary and you don't have to try and compromise on what you do. But I think the best thing is that you meet more people. You know, you're open to more experiences and, and you know, you never know where it'll take you. Uh, and and just the chance and of course you know that's described in the book uh lauren gets to meet different people make new friends and experience things that she wouldn't otherwise do now it was lauren in japan that went to the japanese wedding am i correct that's right yeah 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 if that was you know was that based on fact uh, I did gate crash a wedding uh, at in, <laughs> one time when I was in Fiji. Uh, oh. I was staying on a, one of the uh, resort islands and there was a wedding going on and I'd got kind of friendly with one of the fellows who was a guest and he was there on his own. So he said, oh, come along. So that was handy. And it, so things like that, I agree. They're very unique experiences. And a wedding in Fiji or a wedding in Japan, very, very different to what we experience um, here in Australia. And um, what about um, visiting the geisha area? You, you mentioned some of the things you mentioned. You mentioned Hiroshima. You mentioned the, the geishas. 
what else do you talk about? There's a lot of historic sort of um, references in the, in the book. Look, I did that because it's the kind of travel that I like to do. You know, yeah. I'm not just there to go out and experience the food and, and, and look at things. I like to go and check out the museums and, and uh, read a little bit about the culture. If I can, I like to meet new people, uh, people lo locally living there and, and uh, learn from them, get a bit more insight. Yeah. Um, so, so things like uh, the geishas and the, uh, the, the different uh, castles and, and mm -hmm. uh, historic sites that, that Lauren goes to. Uh, it was when I mentioned the, um, uh, where they go to the uh, Japanese castle with the nightingale floor. And that's where, that's where it's an ancient shogun um, castle where the floorboards are set so that if anybody steps on them, they creak. And the idea is that uh, if somebody, if the, if the lord of the uh, castle is sleeping and somebody comes along to attack him in his sleep, he'll hear the floorboards creak. Yeah, so uh, I was able to incorporate that. That was one that I had actually visited, uh, which mm -hmm. was really cool. And I was able to incorporate that into my book. Uh, but quite often things that I hadn't experienced that I actually wanted to write into the book, I was just able to Google them and and, le and learn enough about it to describe it. Uh, and that was the other enjoyable aspect of writing, is, is um, uh, just learning while you're doing it, having an excuse to learn something. Yeah, I think that that's um, a, a big advantage of Google is you can find out things much more easily than actually having to set foot in a place and research it completely. Yes. Um, but, is, you know, is it like a library in your own home? It is a library. You know, I was talking the other day to someone about my partner when we were away about, do you remember when we had encyclopedias? <laughs> that yeah. would just cracked us both up, the, the encyclopedia <laughs> salesman at the door. And, mm. and if your encyclopedia wasn't as good as your neighbours, your assignments weren't as good. <laughs> no, in, indeed, indeed. And so, you know, back in, I actually started writing this book in 2007. Yeah. And it took me 13 years to get around to publishing it. Um, I, mentioned, I mentioned that uh, I got a real run on because work was difficult at the time. And in mm -hmm. the first, first six months, I'd written 40,000 words. So, I, you know, for, for a, from a complete novice, <laughs> I was off and running. And then I thought when I finished full-time work, I would have got back into it. And I just got distracted with setting up my own business. It was only when I realised it was coming up to the 10th anniversary of starting it, that I thought, oh, I should get on with it. Um, and, and even after uh, getting to the end of writing, as a novice, I didn't understand that that's kind of the end of stage one. And then oh, you have to yes. start doing the reviewing and the editing. And I hired an editor only at that stage. So... Because uh, oh, I've got some questions about that for you because I know what a minefield you head into after you've written, I think a minefield the first time, once you've done it, it's yeah. not so daunting like anything. That's right. Absolutely right. Um, you, um, you do talk about some of the terms in Japanese and, and Chinese. I mean, one of my favourite Japanese terms is the ikigai. Um, I don't think I know, know that, that one. 
haven't you? Oh, that's about your purpose. Um, and I mentioned that in my, it's really about the blue zones and, um, but yeah, so you've mentioned quite a few terms in your book. Have you got any favourites? Oh, well, uh, some people might be familiar with Wabi Sabi. Uh, ah. I've seen it mentioned around uh, in art circles and things, and it refers to the uh, things with the beauty of things that are imperfect. So it, it's kind of like shabby chic, but with a bit more substance. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's there's all sorts of uh, interpretations of that, uh, and there's another one that I really like that I use in the book, which is shibui, another Japanese term, and that's that is the how things improve with age. And so it might be talking about people. I was uh, going to say, is that us you're talking about? Exactly. And <laughs> the ageing fearlessly cohort. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, yeah, Shibui might be a, a motto that we can use. Oh, that's a good one. I like it. You'll have to email that to me later. Although I do have your book here and it went on, it went on travels with me okay, um, while good. I was up in far north Queensland. So I was reading it when I wasn't riding the bike and doing other things. Well, Karen, uh, I've actually um, uh, got a website for my, uh, as an author, yeah. and I've written a few blogs, including one where I talk about those kind of terms. Oh, uh, great. And so, uh, and, and should I mention at this stage that I've used a nom de plume for my writing? Well, I heard that. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, it was kind of just, I didn't want to confuse people between uh, my, my person, my real name, Gail Greater X, is uh, my product safety profile. Uh, yep. People, I'm quite well known and I put myself out there to promote the product safety um, process and, and, and my work there. Um, I didn't want to confuse that with people interested in kind of travel romance novels. So um, that's why I chose a different name. And the name that I chose is the name of the street that I've been living in for the last 30 years. So <laughs> that, and I looked up, you know, I had to, had to check that there wasn't anyone already famous with that name, but I chose Gail Holloway. And uh, I actually went to a talk by Rosalie Ham, the Australian author, of the dressmaker and I went and introduced myself to her and she said oh good uh, the name starting with H means you'll be just in the middle of the bookshelf when because uh, A's are up the top and Z's are down the bottom so yep. go with H. Well one of my friends was the um, the costume designer on the dressmaker. Oh fantastic. Yeah she I think she won an award for that. Oh and well uh, she might have. Yeah her name's Margot Wilson but right. she's a Sydney girl. Um, so I've, I just, I'm just talking to myself here. How did you choose the cover? I really wanted to highlight cherry blossoms. And I thought I was originally thinking I'd have some actual footprint footsteps yeah. uh, depicted, but then I realized that was a bit naff probably it wasn't going to work. So I just went with a nice little bit of, grass and um it uh yeah I'm, i was really happy and the lanterns too because lanterns are both chinese and japanese yeah uh, i like the colors i love the pink the cherry blossom colors mm, yes mm. i'm very happy with it. i've had a lot of favorable comments yeah um who designed it for you 
Well, I actually sat down with my sister. Yeah. Who, uh, and between us, uh, she we came up with the concept and then she was able to go ahead and put it together. Very happy. That is, um, that's nice to be able to work with your sister on that. Yeah, well, in fact, I'll mention my sister because uh, she is a freelance PA ah. and, and uh, she quit her job not, not long after I quit my long-time job and she's been helping me with my product safety business all this time. She does a lot of my admin for me and she's a great support. So, Oh, that's great. You know, and nothing better than having someone really close to you that you enjoy working with, that mm. companionship. Um. Gail, you mentioned a little while ago that you finished the book and you realised you'd only just finished the writing. Tell me about the other side of getting a book to the stage where people buy it and read it. Okay, so uh, this is another tip for novice writers, I guess, is that I decided when I started writing that I wasn't going to learn anything about how to write because yes. I simply wanted to go straight from my head to the keyboard and not put any pressure on myself. Or oh, should I be doing it this way or that way or what, what am I supposed to do? So I just kept typing until I got to the end. And it was after that that I uh, actually went and did a little short course on beginners creative writing and I learned heaps and heaps. And I think, you know, quite often when you go and learn something that you've already tried, it's more meaningful. Yeah. So, so that was really handy. And um, I, was then able, I was then able to go back and do a little bit of revision of, of the novel, of the manuscript. And it was after that that I engaged an editor to just do a fairly light edit. I mean, the, book, yep. the book's a very straightforward storyline. It didn't need a lot of structural editing. But uh, I was certainly um, pleased to have a, a second expert opinion yep. uh, have a look over it for me. And, and uh, these, uh, that process was, was valuable and I learned a little bit more while I was doing that. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine had self-published. I, I decided not to try to approach publishers I thought it was better to self-publish and I was, uh, it actually didn't cost as much as I thought it might. So um, a friend of mine had self-published a couple of books and he recommended uh, a company that facilitates that and yeah. I was able to approach them. Yeah. Um, it's, um, and of course people might not have, not, might not realise, but when you write a book, it also has to go into the National Library. Mm -hmm. has to be registered. Um, yeah. There's so many processes that you just, and it has to have certain barcodes and you just, you don't, there's a lot of little things that people oh, don't right. realise. Well, that's, well, that's why I, I was pleased that uh, the company called Indie Mosh, which is based in the Blue Mountains, mm -hmm. um, I was able to do all of that via email and they looked after the registering, they're setting up the ISBN numbers and um, also setting it up through the sales platforms of Amazon and uh, with Kindle as well. And also one called Smashwords, which goes out yeah. to a lot of the other non-Amazon ones. Um, and so they did all of that for me and they look after the, 
the sales that come through. So it's it's an excellent service and I would recommend them. I must say, even going down to the paper, because I noticed the paper quality is a good book paper, because even those little things make a difference, don't they? And it was printed in Australia. Wow. Yeah. So something I've been looking into is Audible. Um, I was doing a bit of research on Audible um, because it's something I do a lot now is read books via Audible. I do it when I'm on long drives. Um, it's because like you, I'm, I'm a bit time poor mm. and you, I find it tough to sit down and, and find time to read. I have to force myself. So I'm, I'm a real Audible fan these days. What advice would you give someone who was wanting to write a book? Someone in their own 50s that, you know, maybe does aspire to write a book. Well, um, if you've got any kind of inclination, just, you know, rough out a storyline and start typing. That's That that was why it worked for me. And... Um, I I um I wouldn't even you know I think the value was was uh, not necessarily putting any pressure on myself on on how to do it. It it was uh, so don't worry about whether it's good. And they I've I've since learnt that um, your first that, that in terms of grammar and sentence structure and things you know you shouldn't even even the good authors even the best authors don't. Uh, necessarily worry about that when they're first hammering out their their initial draft because it's a matter of getting your um, ideas down and you can go back and refine them later so to me that makes sense and um, you know it's it was as I say wasn't exorbitantly expensive to publish uh, pay pay the self-publishing company and so you know if you want to get it done uh, if you want to do it um, go for it. So really what you're saying is a bit of a brain dump, first of all, just mm-hmm. get it onto the paper mm. and, and really one foot in front of the other after that, isn't it? Just little baby steps and, yeah. you know, sooner or later you'll get to the end. There's, there's any number of, of um, groups, you know, writing groups that you can get involved with. Um, I, I haven't because I don't have the time, but but, and I didn't really feel the need. But, you know, there's all sorts of writing groups where you can go mm. and workshop your ideas, workshop your plots and your characters, and you'll get, you know, it's mutual feedback arrangement. And I've, I've learned a lot about that sort of thing. And yeah. there's some, you know, there's no end of online uh, information as well. Some of it paid, some of it free on YouTube yeah. um, on, on how to do it. So um, the thing, it's, it's a bit like, bit like walking. I'm a great advocate for walking and I belong to a, a bushwalking group in, oh, in yeah. Melbourne. Um, but uh, I, which I think, you know, walking is free and it's just a matter of putting, you know, for those of us who are lucky enough to be upright and well, put one foot in front of the other and it's one of the best things you can do for your for your. Yeah, and I'm like you. When I wrote, health. I was working full time and I would find I'd wake up at two in the morning and go, Oh, yeah, and I'd race into the spare room where I had my desk set up and I'd belt out a chapter and just go, yep, that's it, I can go back to bed now. And it's, you know, yes, my book is very different to the style of book you've written, 
But when those ideas come, just put them down. Don't read it. Don't get pedantic about what you're writing. Just dump it. Mm. Mm. I wanted to share a little saying that I used, Gail. I use that when people sort of say, oh, you can't do that or that, you know, or you even in your own mind think, well, I can't do that. I have a little saying, I can, I will, watch me. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, it's my little treat. If someone wants to use it, just say it to yourself. I can, I will, watch me. If you want to have a go at writing a book, just, yeah, get on and do it. You, it's, it's so much fun when you step outside that comfort zone and mm. yeah and and like tell me about when you've got because I remember this for me what was what was it like when you got your first real copy oh it was fantastic absolutely fantastic to see it in print and uh all all shiny and new uh very exciting yeah so it's like a, a baby isn't it it's like Mm-hmm. I did this. I nurtured this. I, I got this. I made this. It's such a big yes. achievement. Yes, I put put one word after another and ended up with eighty thousand words. I, it, it still it still surprises me when I think about it that I just kind of you know was able to do that and put words in some semblance of order and come up with a story that is is engaging and hopefully appealing to lots of people. So you've got travel, you've got love stories within, you've got adventures, you've got meeting new friends, you've got history. There's so many things in your book. So just once again, thanks for coming and talking to me today and to the Ageing Fearlessly listeners. And congratulations, because it is an amazing challenge and you are ageing fearlessly. Mm -hmm. Um, I must say that because, look, I I just think you're doing a wonderful job and good on you for having your own business and really doing things differently and hopefully soon you'll be able to travel again. Indeed, indeed. I'm missing the travel and uh, I would would love the opportunity. But in the meantime, armchair travel is the next best thing. So um, hopefully people can can enjoy the book that way. Look, I've been uh, delighted to have the opportunity and enjoyed our discussion. Yeah. So, Gail, if people want to purchase your book, how do they do that? Uh, The easiest way is probably to come to my website, which is gailholloway.com. And there is links to uh, places to order the book. And I will put that up on, on my social media when we, when we um, go to air and uh, look, I really enjoyed uh, reading the book. As I said, you know, I was like doing a deja vu through Hong Kong, staying in Kowloon and going over to Hong Kong Island. And I met a family over there much the same as, you know, people took me out and, you know, as guests within their family. And there's just so many amazing things when you travel. And being my first travel experience to Mm. Hong Kong, Mm. it really touched me. So, yeah, lovely to chat to you. All right. Lovely to chat to you too. So cheerio, everyone. Um, Until next time and when I bring you another wonderful guest to the Ageing Fearlessly program. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. 
Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in It's not all nine to five, it's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high, swim across oceans wide. Live out our dreams, just you and me. Let your heart be alive. There's no time to Gotta go get the most out of time Don't be afraid Like this treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride Taste the sweet and the spice Everything nice Let your heart let your heart come alive, honey. Let your heart be alive.